0: You kick your fancy ales. you can by the wagon. but the only true for the brave and comes from green dragon. Yeah. Welcome to the Green Dragons. Initial thoughts about the new release, Battle Companies book, Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game, The Hobbit Motion Picture Trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Battle Companies Games Workshop. I'm Jeremy and I have got my brand new book in hand and it feels wonderful. It's very excited. We had a tournament on release day and during the lunch break a few of us went down to the Games Workshop store which is coincidentally just a, a I don't know a couple hundred meters down the road from the the game store that we we're playing at and picked up our book Battle Companies. It's very strange that the the store once again doesn't want to sell it. You think they'll have a couple copies there, because they would have sold some, we would have been able to send some people down there to pick some up, but Games Workshop doesn't really want to sell that, that's not their intention, but that's okay, they still make them and we like that, but we're able to pick it up in store because we ordered to our store. Now I'm going to go through the book, I'm going to talk about my initial thoughts of it, I'm going to talk about a little bit what's inside, there will be spoilers of course, but I'm not going to spoil everything, what I want is people to be able to buy the book themselves if they like the sound of it, if they like it. I don't want you to listen to it five hundred times. Write down all your notes and start playing your battle companies. I think that would be unfair on the writers, and it's it's not fair to the to the company really because we want them to make these books more and more, and we, the only way we can do that is by actually selling them. So it's your choice if you want to buy it. That's that's I don't really care either way. But I'm not going to give you the whole book. That's not fair. First thing that hit me about this book is it looks very nice. The cover looks very nice. It's in the new style. The the very dark blue background, quite quite subtle details in the picture. Uh, a nice choice of picture here with a battle company in front of it. A, a nice collection of warriors from Gondor, a Fountain Court guard, a captain, a, a knight, a hornblower and some rangers. Good choice of models and a good way of showing it off. Because that could be your battle company. That's That's your army in its entirety, possibly. You've got a contents page and a preface. I won't go too much into that, except that I noticed that there's no authors written down for the book. So, I could well be that it's totally a team effort, or it could be one person took the lead. I'm not sure, but that seems to be the way Games Workshop's going a bit, to not dob someone in, to not name them. So, Adam and Jay, I believe, are the ones who made this, or Jay and Adam. I'm not sure which order, because it doesn't say, but... They're the ones who are in charge at the moment. And this team, this is this, this team's second publication. The first one was There and Back Again, which, as you know, I thought was fantastic. Really enjoyed. Very scenario-based. Um, but There and Back Again was definitely aimed at someone like me. Battle Companies is more aimed at, I guess it's aimed at everyone, really. But it's, it's, the, it's someone who likes points matches, likes to create their own little force and then create that. I think it's especially aimed at people who like doing some campaigns and some modeling and some link games and regular games because that, that's what it really does. It drives that forward, and it does show off the small-scale uh, tactics of Lord of the Rings, which are good fun as well. After the preface, you've got discussions about how to muster your warband. So basically, it tells you how to, how to make it, what the rules for it. The main part to this is you get given a starting warband, and you get three models in that warband become heroes one of these is the lieutenant which is the leader and two of them are sergeants who who all get a point of might will and fate this is a change from previous editions i believe which they i think the lieutenants only got fate if i remember correctly and only the hero had might and that's this is a lot better cuz might is one of the key mechanics of the the strategy battle game the middle earth strategy battle game now so being able to have that have three points starting off is really good i remember in old battle companies one of my battle companies got like might upgrade after might upgrade in the early upgrades to the heroes and I was able to dominate because I was able to cause so many heroic combats or heroic moves and really dominate games because everyone else had one point of might and I was, I was on four or five at the start. It was really quite a differential. So hopefully this starts evening that out a bit. Some of these armies, three might, might be more than some of our, our Lord of the Rings armies or our Hobbit armies, especially if we take something like Army of the Dead. And then immediately after, you've got what happens after a game. So you you set up your warband, you play a game, and then afterwards you roll for injuries and experience. Then you check out your influence, which is basically a way to expand or fix up your warband. And then finally, you calculate their rating. So there's a little points uh, formula for calculating how things are how much things are worth. The injuries are a bit more forgiving than before. We've got the Warrior Injury table. There's only a 1 in 12 chance of you being dead after a game instead of a 1 in 6, which is much nicer for people like me who love to roll low or just happen to roll low. A full recovery is a 6 plus on a 2D6, so very common result. I think that's much better. You don't want models dying too much, and that can swing your campaign a huge amount. If one person's crew or warband has half a dozen models die in the early stages, you're in a lot of trouble. There's also a hero injury chart, which is once again very forgiving, although you get some things like an arm wound or a leg wound, which could be fun for modeling, but also have in-game effects. So, for example, the leg wound means that their move value is permanently reduced by one inch. Now, if they have multiple leg wounds, they have to retire. We do not want to have any paraplegics in the game, unfortunately. Well, fortunately. maybe they didn't have the technology for the wheelchair. So you retire with two leg wounds. Watch out for that. There are also some positive ones on the Hero Injury Chart. For example, on a roll of a 12, you are now protected by the Valor. This means you make a full recovery, so you get no ongoing effect there, and you permanently gain a Fate Point. So this is a good way to get some Fates if you happen to roll double Sixes on your recovery. Injuries aren't always bad. That's a good thing, I think. I won't go through all the other examples either, because you have to buy the book yourself, but needless to say, they've been thought out reasonably well, it's it's more likely that you'll be unharmed than harmed, but you can get some nasty things happen to your warriors. The influence stage, you get certain points for a win, a loss, or a draw, and there might be other conditions in the scenario as well. So you get a base two points for playing a scenario, so always get two for doing that. And additionally you get an extra point for a draw and an extra two for a win. So you get between two to four basically. And then you can spend them on a few different things. You can buy reinforcements. It costs you three influence points to roll on the reinforcement chart, so this gives you another model. You've got to be careful, though, because a roll on one on most reinforcement charts, or I think all of them, means you don't get anything at all. So you can use your influence to adjust that like you would for Might. So when I've played in the past, I've always made sure I've had at least four points before I rolled on the influence chart, mainly because I, once again, love to roll those ones, and it's frustrating when you spend three influence on no one when you really need a Warrior. So you can adjust your reinforcement roll for that. Interesting to note that the roll, sometimes there's two charts. So you roll for one for reinforcements, and on a roll of, a, say, a six, it might say roll in this special chart for some really rare models. You cannot use the, the influence that you roll on the first one. It doesn't carry over to the second one. So you have to start that chart again, which I think is a fair way of doing it. You don't want to just say, right, I'll just spend an automatic, what is it, f- seven influence points or something, or f- six, eight influence points, and automatically get the top best choice. That happened in one of the fan supplements, which was a good supplement. I really enjoyed it. But it meant that the Mori Goblin team, they had Wag Marauders as, like, the top choice. If you got enough influence points, say 8 influence points, you got an automatic Wag Marauder, which unbalanced it quite a lot. Uh, In this game, you don't do that. So, an 8 influence is quite a huge amount. There's some really nice things you can do with 8 influences, as you'll find out later on. You can also purchase equipment or war gear, and there's lots of options here, especially if you're a hero. There's not a huge amount if you're a warrior, but that's fine as well. Uh, Warriors can turn into heroes. That's when they kill enough models, they get to roll to have a go at turning into a hero. Sometimes they get a promotion, so you might get an Eastling warrior turning into a black dragon, for example. Other times, it's just the chance to become a hero. And when you're a hero, all kinds of things can happen to you. Better stats, skills, equipment. It's really what you want to be. You definitely want to be a hero. And then you've got basically a modified linear calculation for your, your Battle Company's rating. They've got a base cost for the warriors, and then they've got a standard price for each item you add to it. It's a nice system. It's not going to be accurate in all cases. You're going to get some corner cases where it's going to be you're either going to be underpaying or overpaying for it. Like for example, it's got fight value, strength, defense, and courage all as a flat five points. As we know, playing the game, high fight is really, really important. But if you're paying to go from say a fight two to a fight three, that's not worth five points if going from fight six to seven is worth five points as well. If going up more is worth more. So it's a it's a nice way of calculating. It's simple. Um, I can't think of a better way to do it without getting some calculations going in, some optimization charts, because it would just be too complicated. These things have to be able to work out by hand because most people will be doing it by hand. Yes, you can do it on a spreadsheet, but that seems like that's more my realm than, than most gamers. So it's not going to be 100% accurate straight out. Like there's going to be ways to optimize it. Luckily for this game, it's mostly random how you make that. But if you're going to use this to bring heroes into this strategy battle game, which you can do, it tells you how to do that later, you will be able to find ways to manipulate the points. So just watch out for that. Watch out if someone's opting to use this. By all means, agree to it. But if they've just, say, increased fight value, attacks, and strength, then maybe they're, they're gaming the system. So watch out for that. And there's also a bonus that, if your ratings 15 points difference for every full 15 points actually you get a reroll during the game. And so that's that's really nice as well. That can help you out if you're bad. You could still lose the game quite a bit, but it means that something like your hero going in and trying to get an early kill could be worth doing with a reroll ready to go. Now moving along really quickly, we have our experience charts and these are the fun part. This is why most people want to play these campaigns to get experience, to get stories behind your warriors and see where they go. It's a pretty simple system for gaining experience. You calculate it based on how many kills you do, and heroes get some for participating in a game. Well, everyone gets some for participating in the game. Heroes get some for winning, I believe. Uh, pretty simple system. And once you get five points, you get a roll in the chart. Warrior progression chart is very swingy. So it's very basic. One to three, no effect. You've got the kills. Your warrior doesn't progress. They stay the same. Four to five, they're promoted. This is very good for the... The, the armies that have promotions, and I'll talk about those soon. And at six is what everyone wants, a hero in the making. You become a hero, you gain a fate point. Then you just roll in the hero charts from now on, and you get hero equipment. So that's the one that people want. Basically, the aim for these with the warriors is you try and get as many warriors to have a go at being a hero, and then hopefully they turn to a hero early on. Otherwise, you use them as a bit of cannon fodder and, and let them die. There then is a whole bunch of charts, progression charts and skills charts. There is one, two, three, four, five, five different progression charts. They are combat progression, shooting progression, leadership progression, good progression chart, so this is for good heroes only, and evil progression chart for evils heroes only. So you get some choice of which chart to roll in, which is really nice to have that control. Now, I'm going to read out just one of the charts because I don't want to go through all of them as well, so get the book, but let's have a look at, for example the shooting progression chart. This is going to only be used by models with missile weapons, shooting weapons. So the first one, d6 roll, one you get the army specific upgrade. So there's a special rule in each of the armies that the heroes can get, and that that gives the army some difference as well, and then on a roll of one you get that one. On a roll of a two, you do not suffer a one minus penalty to hit if you move during the move phase. So you can start moving and shooting, which is pretty good, I actually really like that one. Three, your shoot value is improved, which is even better than steady aim, because it can help you more often, but it only goes to a maximum of three plus. So once you get to three plus, you want to get that steady aim as well. Then on a roll for four, you've got a pinpoint shot. So the hero may re-roll wounds of a one when making shooting attacks, so it's almost like you've got a poison almost put in as well. And then you've got a special rule for five, so you roll on the shooting skills chart, which I might go through as well, because that's exciting. And then on a 6, you've got a very handy Hero Gains 1 plus Might, or Will, probably Might, to a maximum of 3, unless you get a Magic Power, which can happen on some of the charts. Or you've already got a a maximum of 3 Might. You've got your 3 Might, so then you go to Will. So your Shooting Skills Chart. So if you roll the 5 on the Shooting Progression Chart, you get to go on the Shooting Skills Chart. And there's a few of these as well. There's a Combat Skills, there's the Shooting one, which I'm about to look at, and Leadership. So I'm just going to pick a few of the ones for shooting skills. So I won't read them all once again. So if you're taking notes, too bad. Go buy the book. So number two is a keen eye. A hero can still target models that would not be able to see due to effects like an Elven Cloak or Special Rule. So you can hunt down those Elven Cloak models. A skill, a roll of a four. If you're a seasoned archer, the hero may still fire their bow even if they move their full allowance or their crossbow if they moved half their move allowance. So this is a nice one. It keeps you moving. I really like shooting if you can move at full speed. So for me, this is a great skill. And then let's look at six, Lethal Aim. The hero may spend a single free point of might in each shoot phase. This can either be used to improve a hit roll, wound roll, or an in-the-way roll. So this is like the, I think it's, was it Nazug from the Hunter Orcs list? So it gives you that special rule. So nice skills there, and there's a lot more of them. One of my favorite ones from the other charts is a combat skills one called Parry. The hero may force their opponent to re-roll a single D6 when making a dual roll against this hero. Now, I wonder if you get to pick the D6. It looks like you can. It may force your opponent. Yeah, I guess force your opponent to re-roll a single D6 when making a dual roll. So you're going to force them to roll the highest. It's a bit rubbish if it's roll two dice and the opponent can choose. So I'm pretty sure it's that. But that looks nice to me. Quite powerful. It's a Rumor rule, but even better. Happens all the time. So I'm aiming for that one. And on a two, I think even I could roll that at times. Although I have to get a five beforehand, which is pretty high for me. So some very nice skills. Two pages worth of them. of, of Upgrades and things for heroes. It's going to add a lot of difference to the heroes, so heroes are going to act very differently. You're not going to get them all the same, which is really good. Then we've got an armory for war gear and equipment. You're able to access war gear for most models that are already available to them. So say something like a Mirkwood elf could have a shield, could have an elven blade, could have a glaive, could have a bow, elf bow. So that they don't get access to things they don't normally have. It looks like they're future-proofing this a little bit. Some of the stuff doesn't make a lot of sense in our current edition, but we know there's a new rulebook coming at some point. There's also two values here. One's for a powerful hero. So I believe it's when their their wounds and attacks equal something like three or more or five or more, or five or more maybe. I can't remember. i have to look that up. Basically, you pay the extra points for it. So you're a big hero, you pay more points for it, and that's pretty close to what happens in the game as well. So, you can buy things like an armored horse, uh, dwarf bow, longbow, elf bow, longbow, crossbow, horse of wag, lance of war spear. War spear's good. And orc bow, urukai bow. bows don't exist at the moment, they're just orc bows currently. So, you use them as orc bows currently. But that's a little hint that probably along the lines we're going to get an urukai bow. Assuming it's not just a typo, which I don't believe so. So, urukai bow, I'm interested to see what that is. I could speculate all the time, but you. If it's not an orc bow, it probably does something that changes strength or range or something else. Shield, of course. Spear or pike. Now, this is an interesting one here. The next one says, swap hand weapon for another type. So, for one influence point, so that's a pretty much a standard price for most things. Some are more expensive. Any model may change the type of hand weapon they possess. So, one one. this tells me that they're probably going to tell you what hand weapons you have in the future. So, most, most troop types will tell you. In the hobbit stuff, that's already the case. In Lord of the Rings, it happens occasionally. Now, to any of the following. Axe, club, dagger, flail, hammer, mace, maul, pick, scourge, staff, or sword. Uh, I'm not sure if the scourge has rules at the moment. It might be just a a flail. I'm not sure. But, so you can change up your, your weapon types. And they cost additional point for your barrel company rating. So, maybe this is against the whole uh, everyone has axes edition. So, I really hope that that changes. It does mean that we're going to have these special weapons later on, swap these hand weapons. I would have been happy if they've gone. But if they're going to be there, at least it means they're aware that that having everyone with axes and picks isn't the best thing for the game. It makes for some some ugly conversion sometimes. And it makes for some really boring play where everything's got such high strength that the defense is no longer of much value. Then you have throwing weapons. For only an influence point, I'm going to get throwing weapons quite a bit. True-handed weapons... Once again, paying for two-handed weapons, at least it's the same as swapping for a weapon because two-handed weapons have traditionally been overpriced. And then you've got upgrade armor to heavy armor. So you can upgrade your armor as well. So basic war gear options. There are some specific options as well. So say the Iron Hills Dwarves later on have an option to get a war goat. The next part is what we're excited about, equipment. So once again, you spend your influence to get equipment for your heroes. They go from things like arrow poisons, blade poisons. So these are just standard rerolls for ones just normal poisons. Climbing ropes are interesting. So one plus to climb test and then you can leave your rope behind and give other people bonuses. A company standard for a for a hefty 6 influence points. Now this doesn't work like a banner. It's not a banner, it's a company standard. Any member of the same battle company as the model carrying the standard that can draw line of sight to the company standard may reroll any failed courage tests. So that's that's very good. If a model carrying a company standard suffers a one-minus penalty to duels... Okay, so that's fine. They suffer a penalty for their duel rolls, but it's not a banner. Now, that's I don't mind that because banners are so powerful that you don't really want them in battle companies too much. Now, there is a skill in the heroes, I believe, that allows them to, to count as a banner, but you want it to be relatively rare because, once again, banners are so powerful. They're so important. Company standards will help you with the courage. We'll go from the, it doesn't keep you in a clump as well. Like The, the banners currently clump you up. So in battle companies, you don't mind spreading models out to go and doing missions. So company standard sounds good, and it looks good. And it's got a picture of Adam's Rohan banner there, Adam Troak, and that's, that's nice. Concealing Cloak. Two influence points. This is basically your Alvin Cloak, or the special rule for the, the Morgul Stalkers. Uh, you've got some very interesting ones, like Dwarven Brew, Waybread, Healing Herbs. So these ones, oftentimes you'll like to use them, and then they're gone. Use them once, and they give you a special in-game effect. So for example... The the Dwarven Brew, everyone in the battle company adds 1 plus to their courage for the game. So if you're going up against a, a battle company that you know has got some sort of terror effect or is likely to, to break you, you might would consider using this. A hunting dog. So they've got a picture of one of Farmer Maggot's dogs. This is fantastic because I know that our group has a bunch of spare dogs. Your heroes can have a dog if they're men or hobbits. And it's basically just another warrior with a dog profile. Move 8. That's pretty cool. And it gives you something else to look at in your, your list. I like that. So even like a Minas Tirith warband could have a hunting dog, which is, I think, a bit of fun. Then the local scout. This is also fun. They've got a picture of a ruffian, which would make a perfect local scout. Maybe a a Lake Town a militia might work as well, or whoever, whatever you want, a ranger or so. Basically, it's a, it's a warrior. It's not a professional warrior, because they've got a pretty basic profile, and they might leave the game afterwards, but they can help you move terrain, because they know that the... the the game so not during the game of course but if you're setting up the game and there's i don't know a building in the place you don't want it you can potentially move it a little bit up to d6 inches but that's something that i like the idea of because terrain's so important it's especially good for things like hedges and fences because you could actually set up a little defensive area if you wanted to then you got some more things i won't go through all of them lucky talisman manacles which kylie loves the sound of because you can basically paralyze someone by putting them in handcuffs uh a map that's fun a rallying horn. So this is the the horn blower. Uh, the one plus to reinforcement rolls. Interesting. So instead of courage, it's reinforcement rolls. So reinforcements probably play a big part. You can get a torch, which can light things on fire, which is good. So as a hand weapon, the Urukai berserkers have those. Then you've got the wandering elf. So you've got basically a little elf hero that they've got a picture of a mercurial ranger, which would be a fantastic choice, and they can come on the the game. That's really good. Yeah, like, and there's a lot in in Tolkien have the stories of an elf wandering around joining a party, so that's that's nice from a storyline. A war drum, evil can have that, I believe, or is it both? Yes, only evil models can purchase a war drum, so it can increase your movement. That's good. A whip, a wag, obviously only evil, and that ends our equipment list. Now, the way that's set out, you could easily expand on that later on. Throughout the book, they talk about expanding in white dwarf. Uh, I hope they give decent expansions of White Dwarf. If it's just like one rule and they expect us to pay White Dwarf price to keep up with it, that'll be annoying. Or we'll just collect them in a PDF. We're mixed on this in, in our group. We're discussing it. White Dwarf magazines themselves are pretty expensive. So basically only one in the group would do it. I think they're good value, but there's not a lot of like Middle-earth strategy battle game content. The November issue had two warbands, which aren't in this book, which is fantastic. But it only ends up being four pages of content. So to pay Australian $15 every time you do that could cost a lot very quickly. And if you miss out on an issue, you miss out. So I hope it's not the practice to go give you all the rules and that. I don't mind them sometimes, but I hope they're decent rules. So you buy it and you get a good amount of supplement rules. So at this point, we've gone over all the basic rules for battle companies. Now we actually get the battle companies, the good battle companies. Every battle company has a starting battle company, so you don't get the choice over this. This is good for balance. It's good for for helping you know what to paint up. It's good for making sure that you fit the theme and you you don't take advantage of that. Some people might find it restrictive, but later on you'll get the choices. Sometimes you'll have a choice, sometimes you won't of what to do with your battle company. It does limit it in some ways in that, say for the Minas Tirith battle company, which is our first one, you start with six warriors in Minas Tirith. Two of them have shield, two of them have spear and shield, and two of them have a bow. Standard starting alignment. Notice how there's no rangers here. So if you wanted to do a Rangers of Gondor warband, you wouldn't be able to do that. You might be able to get some Rangers of Gondor in your warband, but not at the moment. They all have advancements, so this is where the Warrior can upgrade. The Warrior of Minas Tirith with shield can turn into a Knight of Minas Tirith with shield. The Warrior of Minas Tirith with spear and shield can turn into a Citadel Guard with spear. And the warrior of Minas Tirith with bow can turn into a ranger of Gondor. So there's your ranger of Gondor. You do have a limit in your battle companies about how many models can have bows as well. So it's a third of your warband. So you won't be able to do that, uh, the all rangers of Gondor, anyway. You can get reinforcements. So this is the case for all of them. I'll just talk about notable ones. For this one, it's basically just warriors of Minas Tirith. But on a six, you get a special chart. So there you can get the Citadel Guard. You can get Guard of Fountain Court, Knights of Minas Tirith or Ranger of Gondor. So there's some nice results there. And they have a specific hero upgrade, which we talked about before, for the White City. This model gains a bonus of 1 plus to its fight value in a turn which it charges. So that's pretty handy. We know how good fight value is, so that's very nice. When you charge in, you get bonuses, especially if you have a horse or something like that. It could be very heroic. Next one, you have the Fiefdoms. Starting Battle Company. This is interesting. You've got a Knight of Dol Amroth, you've got Men-at-Arms of Dol Amroth, and Blackroot Vale Archers. Now, they start with the starting equipment, and I believe the men-at-arms of Dol Amroth currently have to buy the pike. So you'll start them with just hand weapons, although they have pictured the ones with the pike. I'm wondering if in the future you won't have an option for hand weapons at all with them. That could be the case. So I'm not sure about this warband. This is one that that I'm attracted to mainly because I haven't painted up my men-at-arms of Dol Amroth yet, but I might have to wait till the new edition just to see what's going on there, or maybe get FAQ'd. I'm not sure. I don't really want to start with just hand weapon ones, because these are reasonably expensive models, I don't want to convert them up just for a starting one with a sword, only to turn them into a Pycon very soon. They have some advancements. The Men-at-Arms of Dol Amroth can turn into a Knight of Dol Amroth, and the Knight of Dol Amroth can turn into a Knight of Dol Amroth on a horse. You can also get clansmen and Axemen into you with, through reinforcements. Blackberry Archers as well, of course, which you've already got a couple to start with. And you can get the same bonus as the Gondor one for the White City. Rohan. starting battle company is Seven Warriors of Rohan with assorted weapons. All heroes get the Horse Lord special rule. Now this is actually a really good rule and I wonder if it will appear later on in something else. Whilst this model is mounted, they may choose to expend their own Fate Points to prevent wounds caused to their mount. So if someone shoots out their mount, you can use a Fate Point. That's one that when we're talking about in a group, people like the sound of. It sounds exciting, it's something you can do to control, you're keeping your horse alive, Uh, quite heroic actually. They can advance to Royal Guard, or to Riders of Rohan with Throwing Spear and Shield, or to Riders of Rohan, or to Outriders. And they've got army-specific hero upgrade. Fourth, Air Whilst mounted, this model gains a bonus 1 plus strength in the turn which it charges. This is becoming a pretty common thing for Rohan. It's popping up here and there, so they're trying to give Rohan more and more strength. Not that Rohan needs it, but it's something. Special There the are special results here. The one that I may want to point out is the Sons of Aeol. So a son of Aeol at Battle Company's level could be absolutely lethal. Two attacks, high fight. It feels like something that, that people would consider throwing extra points of their influence roll on. Because to be able to spend potentially a couple points of influence and get a son of Aeol could be a bit of a worry. So, look, it's it's it is a one-wound model. But how scary is going to be a, a Sons of Aeol with... I don't know, even a hero advancement. of Yuck. So, scary model. Arnor. So, we do have Arnor, it appears. Starting battle company is four warriors of Arnor and two rangers of Arnor. Now, of course, like with all of them, you have to choose your lieutenant and sergeant. So, you could make your ranger a lieutenant, or you can make your warriors of Arnor lieutenants. And then, you've got a special rule where hobbit archers do not count towards your bow limit. So, you've got a point of taking hobbit archers over the ranger archers, which is nice. As your reinforcements, mainly the Hobbit Archer is the main thing that, that you'll notice here. And they've got a specific hero upgrade as well, like all of them do. Defend the North, the hero will automatically pass the first courage that it takes for being broken. Which is good, because you've got low courage. So that sort of counters it very nicely if you manage to get that upgrade. Moving on to Lake Town, you start off with three Lake Town Guard, and then six Militia with assorted weapons. Only Lake Town Guard may be selected as your heroes when you start. So your three Lake Town Guard are your three heroes. Additionally, you can have 20 models instead of 15. I didn't don't think I mentioned that before, that there's a limit of 15, but you can get up to 20 in Lake Town, which is pretty nice. All the Militia can be upgraded to Guard for advancements, and then for... Re- which <laughs> Is it really an upgrade? You lose your courage, you get a 1 plus 5. I guess it is an upgrade, and there's no Bard running around helping you out. In the actual strategy battle game at the moment, the Lake Town Militia are, are better, but in this one, because you can turn into heroes and that, it might not might make a difference. The other thing is that the Lake Town Militia don't have specified hand weapons, so you can give them axes, whereas the Lake Town Guard do have swords. Interesting. Reinforcements, basically just the militia on the Lake Town away. Again, this is nice because this army has probably put a lot of people off in that, to make an army, you have to spend an absolute fortune to get a lot. To play a battle companies, it's quite affordable. And there's some really nice buildings out now for terrain. So hopefully these become a little bit popular. They should be, because they're, they're very good models. They're very nice in the game. And we'll see how they go. Their hero upgrade is the Master's Purse Strings. At the start of the fight phase, before any heroic actions are declared, the hero can spend a point of might. If they do so... The fight value of all friendly models have been 6 inches increased by 1 until the end of the turn. I guess this is where the Lake Town Guards suddenly become pretty good. Because fight 3 is not much to, to write home about. But when you can upgrade them get fight 4, that's pretty good. Then we move on to the Elves. Rivendell. So you start with High Elf Warriors. All the armoured ones with sworded weapons. Uh, including 2 with Spear and Shield. Only one that has a bow. For the reinforcements, the nice one here is the Rivendell Knight. So you can get the High Elf Warriors again but you can get a Rivendell Knight in there. And your hero upgrade is Neldorian fighting style. You do not suffer penalty to dual rolls when using the Elven Blade as a two-handed weapon. That's a good upgrade, because what I've found in my heroes for elves at the moment now, I'm not bothering to put shields on them, because the two-handed weapon is really good. One of the things that they lack is strength, and the two-handed weapon really helps you with that. To have no penalty, ooh, very nice. I like it. Lothlorien. Starting with six elves here, that's a fair amount of elves, Three of them the Gladrum Warriors with different weapon types. And then three of them are the, the, the Wood Elf little pixie ones, the tiny models that I wish they would redo at some point. The Wood Elf Warriors. The hero upgrade is the Blessings of the Golden Wood. Each time a hero suffers a wound, roll a d6. On a 6, the wound is ignored is if, as if a fate point has been spent. I don't really care about that, really. Rolling a 6 is hard to do, but it can be nice at times. The advancements, you've got basically Gladrum Warriors as normal. But you can turn the Gladrum Warriors into the Knights. So the Wood Elves turn into Gladrums... Gladrum Warriors, sorry. The Gladrum Warriors turn into the Gladrum Knights. And then the one with Spear and Shield... So if you have Spear and Shield on your Warrior, you can turn into the Guard of the Gladrum Court, the Pike models. So they're pretty good as well. The Reinforcements, the interesting one really for me, apart from the Knights and the Guard of the Court, is the Sentinel. So you can have a Wood Elf Sentinel. be very powerful in battle companies to be able to move models around would be absolutely fantastic, especially because heroes aren't particularly heroic always. And to be able to force people to automatically pass courage, to cause terror, to have two attacks, to have a bow, really nice model. So that's the one you want to go for, I think. And our final elf one is the Halls of Thranduil, my favourite one at the moment. You get five models to start with. Four of them are Mirkwood Elves with Sword of weapons, and then one of them is the Ranger. Now, the Mirkwood Elves can turn to palace guards, so that's pretty good. The one with Elf Bow can turn to a Ranger, also a very good that's, that's a good, good upgrade. So both of those are good upgrades because getting getting to the palace guards pretty good. Although the main thing about the palace guards would be the bodyguard, I think, because you wouldn't be able to use Thranduil's rule to get their fight value up. And, of course, you can sneakily get some Merquid Cavalry on the special reinforcements roll, and that that's going to be powerful to have Elf Cavalry, like the Rivendell Knight, very good. Although the Rivendell Knights are better, but the merkle Cavalry is pretty good. So I've just lied about the Palace Guard rule that you can't have it because I just saw this little box here that says Palace Guard and the halls of Thranduil Battle Company treat the company's leader as Thranduil for the purpose of the king's guard special rule. So you do get that. So Palace Guard are fantastic. I might have to repaint mine. I've got my color scheme. I like it, but it's not as good as the Mirkwood Elf color scheme. So I have to look into that. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll upgrade it. And then you've got to protect the borders hero special upgrade rule. Heroes always count as having a roll to 6 for any leap, jump, and climb tests. Always counts as that for a climb test. That's fantastic. You can jump all over the place. I like that one. I'll probably make the, the one with the Glaive my leader because you've got the, already got the hero with the Glaive as your leader. So I think that's pretty good. The Glaive weapon is fantastic. So having him as your leader, maybe the Ranger as a Lieutenant, could be really cool. Then we have Durin's Folk. On to the Dwarves. Six Dwarves. That's a lot of Dwarves. They're all warriors with sworded weapon. They can be upgraded to Kazagard, Iron Guard. Iron Guard, once again, would be fantastic. Dwarf Warriors and S.H.I.E.L.D. turning to Iron Guard. Two-handed Axe guys. That's good. The two-handed Axe guys got a reason to take them because they turn to Kazagard. And then the Dwarf Warrior with bow can turn into a Ranger, which some people argue isn't an upgrade at all. Maybe that'll change later on. And the, the main one in here is that on a reinforcement roll of essentially a double six, you can get a Vault Warden team. Ugh, nasty. Two models. Massive defense. Could be really scary. And the their hero upgrade is Baruch Kazard. The hero may re-roll to wound rolls of a one when making strikes against Orcs, Goblin or Uruk high. Situationally okay, probably doesn't come into handy that often. Bit of fun. And that's the same with the Ironhall's rule. They've got that special rule, but they get a war goat. They start with five dwarves, so not the six. You get spear shield, you get two of matic, so you've got a reason to buy the matic ones from Forge World, which are really nice models, but are not ones that you see very often in the game. So hopefully that, that improves that. And you get one of a crossbow. So once again, you buy, buy the crossbow pack. This is a good way to start Iron Hills because the Iron Hills, as everyone knows, is uh, a forger one. It's, it's not cheap to get started in there, but you can get a few packs and away you go. So getting one pack of crossbows and one pack of goat riders will be enough. You can get a goat rider on the reinforcements. And it's not the special reinforcements. It's your normal reinforcements. So that's really good. So they'll show up a few times. If you're all after four or five, I'll definitely spend a couple points of influence to get a goat rider. Very nice models. And our final good list is the Shire. So we've got 8 Hobbit Militia and 4 Hobbit Archers. 12 models in the starting group is huge. And you can get up to 25. So this can get very big very quickly. The advancements. The Militia can turn to battling brandy bucks, And the Hobbit Archers can turn to Turkish Hunters. So better, better strength and better shoot value, I believe. The reinforcements are pretty standard. The Sheriffs appear again. So they're nice and rare, which is good. You can get multiple militia or choose any two hobbits. So you could have on a roll of a six for reinforcements, two sheriffs show up, which are really good. And then they've got the For the Shire hero upgrade when the hero and all models in six inches of their battle company may re-roll failed courage tests. Good one. Now, what I've noticed for the good side is there's quite a few missing. These apparently will appear later in White Dwarf. Maybe they didn't include them because they don't have enough models in them at the moment. Maybe they didn't include them for space. I'm not sure. I really don't know. I'm not proving this information. Someone is, but they're probably not telling. And someone probably thinks they know, and they probably don't know. So, ones that I've noticed that are missing are things like Numenor. So, no Numenor Battle Company, which is a little bit sad for poor Numenor players. Then there is no Wozes, which I'm okay with because Wozes appear later on in the book as one of the forest creatures in one of the forest special rules, but uh, it will be very hard to include them. Now, you're not going to get any wizards or monsters or anything like that here, which is fine as well because they'll be too much for this small, small scale, and I'm not sure there's any other good ones that I can think of at the moment. Oh, yes, Erebor and Dale ones appear in the White Dwarf already, and they're a combined one, so that's all right. And I can't think of any others. Notice how Numenor and the Erebor Dale are early ages as well. So maybe they're just focusing on the War of the Ring Age, which explains some of it, but not all of it later on. Moving on to our evil battle companies. Once again, these are pretty straightforward. There's lots of text describing who they are, but you only really get a starting battle company, some advancements, some reinforcements, and some upgrades. So they're, they're nice and simple, which is good. You've got Mortar, of course, which starts off with all Mortar Orcs. Quite a lot of them, actually. So nine Mortar Orcs with all kinds of weapons. You've got your Hero Upgrade, an Orcish Brawler, which... Uh, I like this one. If this hero is outnumbered during a fight, they get a bonus of 1 plus to both fight and attack values. They become very good if they're outnumbered. So you're getting Orc heroes that intentionally will charge two models and just become better. Very nice. Almost like the, the Merkwood Ranger rules. And lots of advancement options here. So you're depending on what weapon you have, you could turn into a Morannon Orc, a Wag Rider, an Orc Tracker. Then you can have a Mortal or a Kai, and they can turn into Black Guard a very nasty. And your Black Numenorian, which you can also get, can turn into a Morgul Knight. So this has got a huge range of models in it. So you your Mortal armies might look very different. You might have a bunch of orcs. You can only get the fifteen, so you want them to upgrade to the stronger ones, but you've got Black Guard could be really nasty. Morgul Knights, Black Numenorians. You could actually have a terror army if you've got enough black Numenoreans. It's a good army. Warband, not army, Warband. Isengard starts off with Urukai Scout, which I kind of like actually. They can advance to the Urukai Warriors, so crossbow, pike, shield ones. And then you've got your specials where you've got some Feral Urukai and Urukai Berserkers. I'm glad the Feral Urukai is still around. People have been concerned that some of the profiles might disappear or change, so it's good to see that one's still around. You shall taste man flesh is there. Hero upgrade. Hero gets a bonus of 1 plus to wound when making strikes against men. Never complain too much about 1 plus to wound. There's a lot of men around, and that would happen against other evil armies as well, so that would be quite good. I guess when when you get the other one, gets it's good as well. Anytime you get plus to wound, it's good. Urukai Grog is a unique war gear. The three influence points, and you can use it at the start of the game, so remove it from the hero's profile, Every model in the Heroes Battle Company may reroll a single D6 and will make you a dual roll for that game. Very nice. War Gear option. I don't know how expensive they are. I don't know if they're worth it. There might be something you take once you max out your 15 models, but they could be really good. Or maybe patrol hunting or something. Harrod. Harrod makes it with eight warriors, four with spear, four with bow. And they can have 50% bow because we love Harrod and that becomes in the box and suddenly we want Harrod to be archers and, and all kinds of reasons. They can advance to Raiders. They can advance to Serpent... Or they no, they can't advance to Serpent Guards. You can get Serpent Guards. You can advance to Serpent Riders. You can also just get the Riders on their own. You can also get Watchers of Kana and Abrakan Guards, the big fatties. That's, they're good models. Not too overpowered, but good, good models. And then your Hero Upgrade. You can be the Master of Poisons, and your Hero can reroll all failed to wound rolls. Fantastic. So much better than some of the other ones. Like... Compare it to the Utah Taste Man Flesh, we get a bonus to wound. To be able to re-roll all fails is huge, really good. Harrod strong, like always. Far Harrod. Now, I'm going to comment on this. I've been talking about it to other people, and it's my observation. Every time you hear about how to do photography, they always talk about lighting and camera distance and all this sort of stuff and getting the perfect pose from a model. Now, in the picture of the Far Harrod warband, you've got... Three with hand weapon. Now, as you know, there's only a single one available because the other one didn't get molded properly. They're all in the same pose, facing exactly the same direction. I don't know why. This is silly. The composition of this photo just doesn't work. You've got three identical models all running in exactly the same action pose, where they could have just rotated them 90 degrees and you'll get some variation, or maybe blended them, or not put the the blowpipe guys in the background. It's it's just not a nice photo. Fix it up. Whoever's doing the photo, do better. And then we've got the starting battle company. You've got seven Mahood warriors, so quite a bit of Mahood warriors. Nice to see the blowpipes in here. And your advancements, you can go to raiders uh, with blowpipe or war spear or just nothing, which is interesting. So might have to do some conversions on the raiders because most of mine have got war spear. I might need to get some without war spear next time I put some together. Nastily, you can also get half trolls, which could be incredibly good. Scary. And they have the Warrior Bride rule, which I'm glad they do. This is an old rule with the Far Harried, which was really good. If the hero is engaged in combat, the hero will get this specific upgrade if you roll well enough or bad enough. If this hero is engaged in combat, then models from the battle company within six inches of the combat will automatically pass all courage tests, which is nice because they've got low courage and it really helps you out and it forces you to keep fighting, which is good. is nasty. Mori can have 20 models. It starts off with 11 goblins with various things. And for 10 influence, you can get a cave troll. Ooh, scary. Cave troll. That's probably the biggest and nastiest thing so far we've seen, I believe. Then you can turn the goblins into black shields. Fantastic. You can turn a goblin with bow into a prowler with your choice of weapon, which is good because the prowlers could have different weapons. I know all the game's workshop ones have two handed axe, but you could have shield or you could have bow on the prowlers in the game. And that's, that's all your special options, really. So Black Shields and Prowls are pretty good. You've got Treacherous Leader, which is really nice as a as your hero upgrade. Every time this hero suffers a wound in combat, that will result in it being slain. So if you die in combat, after Fate Points have been spent, roll a D6. On a 2+, you can select another friendly model within one inch of itself, and that model takes the wound instead. So if you've got a bodyguard near you, on a 2+, you can get them to take the wound. Fantastic. So good. I like that one. I want that one. And the cave troll as well. Mori goblins look really good. I might have to get hold of more of the metal ones, I believe. I think I do have some more of the metal ones, actually, because I don't really like the plastic ones. But you could get some really nice Mori goblins going. This one surprised me a little bit. We've got a Pure wag Riders warband. The Pure wag Riders warband starts with three Wild Wags. It only has two wag Riders. One with shield, one with bow. No throwing spears on them. The Wild Wags can advance the wag Riders for your choice of weapon. And your hero can get Vicious Battle Scars. Cause terror Nice Your reinforcements You get lots of riders and Wargs Simple Straightforward They're based on the Isengard ones But you can use these All over Middle-Earth Because riders Are around all over the place Although they're not Wags. Easterlings have made it Very good Six Easterlings They can all turn to Black Dragon With the same war gear So you can upgrade them And you can also get Cataphracts as well The hero can be a duelist So when they slay An enemy hero combat They regain a point of might Once again fantastic That's a good one Dolgol door. The Hunter Orcs are really in the Gold door list here. Four Hunter Orcs, two fellwags. So no bow or two-handed weapons, just straight Hunter Orcs. Really nasty, because Hunter Orcs are really nasty. And your Advancements, your Hunter Orcs can turn into a Hunter Orc with the Felwag. And your Fellwargs can turn into a Hunter Orc riding Felwag. Felwags are really, really good at battle companies because of the Fel Sight. Fel Sight is so good. Because you can hide, you could get a pack of them, so three or four Warg riders, hide them behind buildings and... You choose when to charge in, and because you do so much damage, if you win a combat, they're wiped out. They're really powerful. Really nice. You can also get Gundabed Orcs with Spear or Shield here. So that that's pretty good. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping in the new edition you can still get both. So you could get Spear or Shield and then upgrade later, because I've got a bunch all converted up, all ready to go. Your hero upgrade is the power of the Necromancer. And it's pretty pretty much a 5 plus Fate roll. Yeah, Okay. That's alright. Goblin Town. Once again, 25 models. A big company, potentially. If you can get up to 25, you start with 12. Two of them with two-handed the axe. You can advance to a Goblin Mercenary, so hopefully those models come out soon. And your reinforce, is just lots of goblins. Your hero upgrade is a backstabber. The hero gains a bonus of 1 plus to wound when making strikes against a trapped opponent. Uh, encourages you to trap. Anything to encourage you to trap is good. Still lots of evil ones to go. We've got Agmar which is nine orcs. There's a little text box here that says an Agmar orc is exactly the same as a Mortar orc in terms of profile. The only difference is the name for now. I like this. Good communication. They're going to change it potentially. Maybe. The army-specific hero upgrade is the gaze of the dead, and it's essentially a transfix. So you can target a single enemy within six inches, take a courage test, fail, can't move the remainder of that turn. That's nice. I like that one. You can upgrade to Wag Riders or Orc Trackers. And you can get a Dead Marsh Spectre as part of the special reinforcements. Cannot become a hero, but Spectre's good, good, and looks good as well. Corsairs of Umbar. Interesting enough, the Reavers and the Arbalesters still special upgrades, so they're still around. People wondering if they'll go. Unique war gear, smoke bombs. Start off with seven Corsairs with various weapons, and you can advance to an Arbalester, just the bow one. So I encourage you to take the bows. The bow ones are good anyway. Your hero upgrade the Shadows of Umbar. If your hero is partially concealed from view, they cannot be seen at distances more than six inches. So that's like an Elven Cloak, basically. Pretty good. And that ends all the evil lists. Now, the ones that I've noticed that are missing, firstly, the Gundabad ones have been released in the White 12 already. So we've got the Gundabad one available. Vyrax of Kand. No Kand. Mmm, that's a bit strange. Would prefer to have them in there, maybe because of model choice. But they've got chariots and horses. Then Dunland! Why no Dunland? No Dunland. No Ruffians as well. Ruffians, I can sort of understand. Wish there was a Dunland or just generic evil list. There's probably some more I'm forgetting, but hopefully that comes later on. Poor Dunland. But Dunland always gets the short end of the stick. Maybe it means that there's a Dunland supplement coming very soon and they're going to increase all the models. Probably not. Hope so. Probably not. Now to the Battle Company scenarios. This is the real meat of the book now. We're about halfway through the book in terms of page content, so there's lots of content to go, and this is where the, the part that really sets it apart from previous editions of Battle Companies and other supplements and things. We've got some really good content in this half of the book. We have 12 scenarios, which can be used for Battle Companies, but I think they could also be used for points match games as well for most, of them, with maybe a little bit of variation, not a whole lot. Some of them are suitable, some of them are not, but they look quite interesting. They're all on a 4x4 board, which is quite big for a battle company, so you're going to need a lot of terrain to make it interesting. You've got a rescue, so you start with a hero and a couple friends in the middle, and they're being chased down by an attacker's force, and then the reinforcements come on. You've got uh, some basic games. You've got some encounters where you just go and try and reduce each other to a quarter. You've got a nice one. The scenario 4 is Recovery, where you've got to find a relic, and it's got some hidden... uh, hidden relic so you've got to go f- go in contact with a marker and see if it's a relic and it might be it might not be and then you grab it then pull it off the board it's a heavy object so that's also interesting as well you got some ones where you have got to defend like it's um hold the lines interesting where you defend a road essentially and the other force has got to run past you and, and get off the other side of the board these are always difficult unless you've got some fast moving models but they could be interesting uh lots of marching probably some, some just start in the middle stay in the middle type scenarios stay on a hill and defend them Number seven's interesting, where you've got to infiltrate a camp, and there's some sentries around, and got to go slay the hero. There's ones where you move on randomly and attack the middle objective, like that's an old scenario, I think. Secure the area, they call it this time. There's a domination variant, scenario nine, called Siege Ground. There's an interesting one, scenario ten, called Tame the Beast, which is there's a cave troll in the middle, and you've got to go kill the cave troll. So that should be fun. I like the idea of putting a cave troll in. It's a nice nice leader. It'd be nice if they had an option to put an ogre in as well. That could be fun. But, cave troll's fine. Then you've got one where you've got a hidden messenger. Now this is very similar to some of the other games we play, where you note down a model at the start of the game, and that model becomes the objective. So you secretly write down a warrior, and your objective is to go kill that warrior. So that's that's interesting. It's a bit of bluff. You've got to know when to do it. Because the game ends when one company has been reduced to 25% of the starting models, you probably don't even want to bother killing the heroes if possible. You want to just go and hunt down the warriors, but then the heroes can come and kill you back. It's a tough choice. And then you've got and Plunder the Camp, which, I'll, once again, they brought back some old rules, which I've always found the justification really silly. So the special rules for this Plunder the Camp one, where basically you've got to go set some fires to objectives, is called the Dark of Night. Due to reduced visibility, models cannot be targeted by shooting magic powers or special abilities over six inches away. Okay, that makes sense. That's fine. However, as it is much harder to avoid a shot in the dark, all shooting attacks gain a bonus of one plus when rolling to wound. Because, of course, you're dodging arrows. When you get shot at, that's, that's what happens... <laughs> No, it doesn't work that way. They're so fast. They're not going to, you're not dodging them. And because it's darker, it's just harder to dodge them. Really strange justification and old justification. Uh, we always have a little laugh about that one. I can just imagine people going, oh, it's daytime. So this arrow shooting at me, I'll just move out of the way. Take a step to the side. It doesn't quite work that way. I don't believe. And then we move on to our Adventures in middle Earth section. So we've got rules for lots of terrain. This is really good. At the moment, there's rules for for Lake Town with some ice flows, which will look really interesting. The ice can move around. You might fall off and get frozen. Uh, Controlling boats, so jumping on the boats and moving them around, that's fantastic. And then moving through doorways and buildings, that's good as well. You've got lots of forests. Now, this is interesting, and it says, uh, Games that take place within a forest should have 50% of the board covered with woodland terrain. 50% Fifty percent is a huge amount. So when you're on a four by four board, you need an area of basically two foot by four foot, eight square feet of of woods. That's a lot of woods. Get a piece of MDF and that's that's two foot by eight foot or something, something equivalent, same amount of area, and just try it out. See how much it is. It's a lot of woods. A lot of woods which is good because there's lots of rules for the woods uh one of my favorite one is the spider infested wood forest so that's uh where you generate a spider uh the the guarded forest the druid dance the woes are in there and they're shooting at you so you can take strength two hits from woes that's interesting there's a woes warband it's hidden in the forest and then things like a a raffle forest and haven forest and a haunted forest so lots of interesting forests the goblin town rules from the scenarios are in the goblin town section so you can knock down the walkways, you can uh, fall down chasms, that's always fun. Knocking down w- walkways is fun, but you've got to get 10 models, which can be t- can be tough. Uh, some dwarf holds, some haunted ruins, so you've got basically ru- whatever you've got ruins. So rules for spirits, rules for uh, chilling aura. That's it for the terrain rules at the moment, hopefully we get some more later on as well. We keep getting all throughout once again... We'll put more in White Dwarf. We'll put more in White Dwarf. makes me wonder if they had more content than they could actually fit in the book, the page limit, and just decided to throw it all in White Dwarf. I don't know. I probably mentioned that before anyway. But the next part is well worth keeping in. It's a quest to Fornos, a narrative campaign. It's called a narrative campaign, and the way it's a narrative campaign is... You play a series of battle companies. There's five scenarios that are written down which have fixed enemies, fixed evil side. So this is designed for the good side, and they said there's one for White Dwarf as well, for the evil side coming out. And between each of the games, you play one to three games of battle companies to try and power up your warband in order to take on these increasingly difficult scenarios. First one is a Lake Town Rescue. So you're going around Lake Town. You're up against uh, some Lake Town Guard, 12 Lake Town Guard in total. And then you're running around like down, that. that should be fun. I can't wait to get my like down done and have a play of that. Second one, you're against four Merkwood spiders in Merkwood. This is an interesting one. I remember the original version, this had 18 spiders against Thorin's company and some elves. And when it came out that that scenario came out, this is well and truly when, when Games Workshop's plan for sales was to just not sell Hobbit. Someone someone was trying to sabotage within, I'm sure. Because I wanted to buy the 18 spiders for the scenario. And there wasn't that many given out to the Australian stores every store got just one box of the merkled spiders, so they had to like gather them all and with my order and order more from overseas very very strange they wouldn't even stock in Australia enough to play the one scenario a very very funny one but four Sp- merkled spiders spiders is a reasonable amount you get two boxes of them away you go split them with a friend if you want they're very nice and very handy and you can use them in the normal game just as a, a warband of two Narrative scenario three is basically a Goblin Town breakthrough, which looks like on the picture a very sparse Goblin Town, so not a lot of passages to go through, and you're up against the Goblin Scribe and 18 Goblin Warriors, which do not underestimate. That is a scary amount of goblins. Goblin Town goblins are really good fighters. They're they're absolute rubbish, but they're because they've got the cheering hordes rule, they they become very very good. So this scenario scares me. I, I think this is going to be difficult, especially the scribe. And the scribe gets extra, gets rerolls or something. What's he got? Yeah, rerolls the Fail Courage test for the Always More, so you, he's going to get lots of goblins. That's a tough one. Then we have our Ambush of Night scenario, which looks like it's played on the Weather Top, which is fantastic because I've got a Forge World Weather Top, really nice. I can't wait to play that. There's a the picture of the old half Weather Top, but that doesn't matter. You can only see half of it because it's a picture, and you're up against six hundred orcs, six hundred orcs on Falwags and six foul Wags. So there's your hundred orc warband altogether. Should be a fun scenario. I'm actually really keen to try that one out. I've got to, might repaint my my weather top, I think. I did it years and years ago, and it's okay. It does the job, but it might be, I might be able to use some better weathering on it. Our final scenario, the last one. The final scenario is the Armour of Forgotten Arnor. So you're going for a classic treasure hunt. You're trying to find some, some treasure, Swords of Kings, or an Amulet of Seer, or the Bow of the Dunedain, or Helm of Westerners, or maybe the Armour of Fornost. All good fun you're up against basically a lot of Orcs. So you're going to go up against 20 Orcs. That's a good amount of Orcs. I haven't read through all the rules here, but it looks like a good combination to the end of the scenario. Lots of ruins. Should be fun. And then we move on to some stuff that... Uh, I'm not sure that it's it's... It's not rules items. It's not something you get a good amount long-term, but it is quite inspiring. It's a gallery of battle companies. And you've got... Quite a few battle companies that people have shown off, probably just for the play testing, and they're 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 quite nice. Uh, you've got Adam Trokes Rohan, which looks really nice. He's got a red and yellow colour scheme with some some bases that I totally approve of, with lots of foliage. Uh, it looks really nice. Some conversions in there. His leader looks really nice, bald head, and he's got some interesting models um, allied in. Essentially, he's got the Wandering Elf and he's got a little scout. So it's a it's a leg down models used for that. So it should be a really fun fun warband. It looks quite good. Oh, it's tough to play. It's tough to play against. I mean, they're good. Uh, They've got J. Clair's Isengard, which just standard Isengard Scout Army. Nothing special about that. They're painted well. They they look good, but they're like Isengard's one of the easiest ones to paint along because there's lots of browns and silvers. So he's done the job for that, but not spectacular. Just normal. Nick Baton's Minas Tirith, once again, pretty much looks like the standard Minas Tirith colors. Just nicely done. There is some... The, the Oscillia veterans being used, which are a good choice of models for that. I like that. Then you've got Rog McFarlane's Mordor. So this is Mordor Orcs. He's got some of the old metal Orcs, which are really good. The the this one's probably the most basic paint jobs. So it looks like he's he's very much just aimed to get them out there. Unfortunately, he hasn't filled some gaps in his wargs' necks, which is disappointing. Get the green stuff out and fix it up. Or at least turn the WAG so you can't see the gap. Because I've got the big photo. Once again, going down to the posing of photos, the optimal angle. They've shown off the crack in every single WAG. So I'm not really sure about that. There's some nice conversions here. And I just don't get why he wouldn't fill a gap. Anyway, maybe he's just putting it together quickly and didn't expect it to be in the photo shoot. Or maybe that's that's how he likes a Big crack down them. David Whitaker's Doggoldo. Sorry if I pronounce these names wrong. I have a go at them. Nice dog older army, simple paint jobs, solid, looks good. I'm very biased because I like this army. You've got uh James Brown's Halls of Thrandwell, these once again are quite basic. Um, I've been I know these models inside out because I've been painting them a lot, 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 lot lately, so I know how much work goes into them. I do like the Merkle Cavalry model that's uh rearing up, that looks really good. I might have to do that for my next ones. Mine are all pretty much going straight. So rearing up looks good. He's used some of the captain models. So it's got the the Mirkwood captain and the ranger captains and they look really good. They're a good choice. Captain models work really well in battle companies. Then we've got Duncan Rhodes Arnor. So once again, a nice functional color scheme. But what I really like about this one is not only has he used some heroes, not only has he got some some battle damage on the Arnold Warriors. He's got one with a big bandage over his eye. He's used Kyrion as the leader and it looks fantastic. It's a really good choice. So I'm going to see if I can obtain a spare Kyrion and make it as an Arnold Captain because it looks really good. And for those who have trouble finding Arnold Captains because I don't think they're available at the moment, get Kyrion. Works perfectly. It looks really good. Just shave off the their shield boss and paint up a new one. It's nice. And we move on to my favorite, Jason Lee's Iron Hills. This warband is spectacular. It looks really, really nice. The paint jobs very good. The conversions are amazing. The the he's got the the captains' lieutenants are instantly recognizable. The captain's on a big war goat with an eye patch and the red hair. The two captains that look like they could be ones from, I don't know where they're from either from the chariot or from from something else. Getting the spare one of the chariot's a good way to convert them here. They look fantastic. One's got two ax One's got his matic and just holding it, leaning on it. Uh, his his dwarves all look very individual. He's used the the dismount spearmen, not the the standard spearmen. So they all have nice dynamic poses, which are really good. One of them, or maybe more of them, has got a can of beer, drinking it, and oh, it looks really good. It's got a, it got a goat rider of a matic, which is definitely an option. It comes in the packet, but it doesn't happen. Doesn't get doesn't get used a whole lot. I see. I see one with his shield and a sword. It's just a really nice warband, so that that's my favorite. I looked at that and said, "That's impressive." I'm going to steal those ideas. So they're good, and they they're. It's nice that they're varying levels, so people can see that it doesn't just have to be expert painters that can do this. Like there, there's some. They range from being pretty much the the throw three colors on to to very very nice high standard warbands. Then, of course, we've got rules for using your Battle Company in larger games. So the point system they used earlier gets used again, and they've got a scenario as well for it. So we've ended up having 18 different scenarios in this book, which is a good number. I really appreciate the Middle-Earth teams going this way and giving us lots of ways to play because this is where the game shines, all these different scenarios. And I know Battle Companies is essentially points matches with with a bit of less control, actually, and a bit more story behind it. But it's great that there's there's all these options. So grand battle, and he have got rules for for your battle company. They deploy together. It's uh, really nice. Could be fun. And then you've got a roster sheet, and you're done. So that's that's my initial thoughts, and that's what's in the book. I've tried not to spoil too much, of course. But I'm quite excited about this, and more excited than I thought I would be. Initially, battle companies I saw as like the initial White Dwarf was very simple, and they've they've. Definitely fleshed it out and made it really interesting. And I can't wait to get some of the warbands out. I know our group's going to be excited about playing. Uh, I know even Nick wants to run a campaign day or two and, and play through them. Initially, I thought just campaign days. And I might have even mentioned that on the previous episode, just one-day campaigns. But with the modeling opportunities, with all the extra equipment, I feel like it might be like one scenario. So if we're playing through that, that say, that five-scenario campaign, it might be that you do a scenario and then you do all you, your grinding, you're one to three, and then you prepare for the mission next gaming session. Might be the way to go. So that could be a fun way of doing it. I also want to really make sure that we theme our warbands together so that they're in certain parts of Middle-earth. And then we can make up our own campaigns. So I was thinking of doing like a, a campaign where everyone brings good and an evil army so we only ever play good versus evil. And then we have a restriction like only elves. And we make it like a second age or a first age campaign. So you, you pick up ones that are available as well. You go for the wag Riders, that's fine. You go for some of the others. Dog or Door's fine. But you wouldn't put in, say, the Isengard list because that wasn't around. So you, you limit the ones that are available as well for the evil and you get a nice theme campaign and everyone has their own take on it. And hopefully with the different color schemes you can do like a big battle at the end of it which could be very interesting. So I think it's a it's a great addition to the collection. It's something that hasn't really been done before. Like a lot of the books we get are repeats of old stuff. This is, it's a repeat of a white dwarf, but it's got enough new content that it's a great standalone choice and looks really good. I um I'm impressed. Wish it was, I don't know, another thirty pages with all the stuff that was gonna come out in White Dwarf. But uh, I'm look. I'm okay with what it is. It's it's not a big deal. Like when I when I make a criticism, it's funny when you, when you put a criticism on like a forum or an internet, people assume that you're like incredibly angry or upset or about to rage quit or whatever. Maybe that's that's them more than anything. You write something, so criticism is automatically means that you absolutely hate the product. I really like this product, and I'm going to criticize it as well. I want that extra content in as well. I want to be able to put my Numenor one together. And look. I can probably make one up myself quite easily, so I might do that now. Starting Numenor Warband, let's have uh, two with shield, two with spear shield, and two with bow. That sounds good. Let's make sure we have uh, the... uh, Let's have no advancements, because the Numenor doesn't really have that. For reinforcements, we'll have one for nothing. Let's have a... A shield model at number two. Let's have a bow model at number three. Let's have a spear shield at number four. Let's have for number five, any of your choice. And for number six, let's have a... mm, Number six, what can we do? What can we do? No, let's change that. Let's go for number two, make it a... uh, Just the standard one, so the shield. Let's make number three the Bowman, let's make number four the Spearman, let's make number five a Ranger of Arnor, and let's make number six any of your choice. Done. And I need a special hero upgrade, let's go call it for Numenor, we'll make a little sentence about it, blah 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 blah, and we'll say, this model gains one plus to the fight value if they're being supported by a Spear. Because Numenor had always talked about how impressive their spears were. So there we go. Something very basic. Um, Probably not game-breaking, but could be really powerful. And it does show off the the fight value of Numenor. Uh, I haven't playtested that at all, because you heard me just make it up on the spot. But that's how easy it is. If you want to add your own, feel free to. I feel like there's a lot of space for more human-based warbands. I feel like you could easily go back and do, say, the events in uh, some of the Silmarillion, Silmarillion stories, perhaps. Uh, some of the appendix of Lord of the Rings. I would love to do the um, Children of Hurin, have a Turin Taranbar site type scenarios, and uh, that could be really fun. There's lots of potential. So go out and get the book. I think I like if you like the small skirmish games, you'll enjoy this. At least get one for your gaming group. You'll, you'll be fine with just one, and you can all pass it around. But if you if you're a fan, it's well worth getting. It's a very nice publication. I know that it's it's one that you have to order in. At least it's available for from Standard Games Workshop for, for the people who like that. I prefer from World because it's cheaper for us in Australia, but that's okay. It's It was... It got got it sent to the stores. Stores, put one put one under the counter. Why can't you do that? Why can't you hold on to them? Send them back at the end if you really can't sell them, but make them available to us. Don't make us fight to buy your product. That's silly. Anyway, I, I'm not in charge of their business. I don't know. I, probably a good thing I'm not because that's not my expertise. Thanks for listening. Traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.